Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to gather again in your name. We thank you for the incredible exuberance and life and joy and excitement of being together with three and a half, four and a half thousand people praising you and giving glory to you. And now, Father, we pray that in this time, in this evening, that you will speak to us afresh. And as we lift up our lives and everything that we are, all that we possess, all our relationships, our families, our friendships, uh, the skills that we have, the resources that we have, we lift them all up to you. We say, Father, we pray you breathe on this offering we make to you tonight. And that you will make us the best that we can possibly be for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to talk tonight about how to discover your calling. I'm just so uh, excited and privileged to be here. My wife and I have just absolutely loved being here in New Zealand. For me, the second time, for Sheila, the very first. And we've been just caught up with your infectious, faithful excitement, your faith in God, your, uh, your, your, uh, your drive to see his purpose fulfilled. And it's just been an amazing experience. And uh, we just... Uh, we're so mindful. I, I, did, I did the mass this week because I like doing mass, and uh, I was saying this this morning, um, that uh, you know, I, I did the mass that if you were to scale the size of this nation, this nation, this small nation, the relatively small nation, which has had such a huge impact on faith and ministry across so many nations around the world, and even this particular network, likewise, across so many nations, some of which are present here. But if you were to do the maths, and you were to say, that uh, in the United States of America, there had been recently an event uh, which was open to all ages, but the majority were probably somewhere between 15 to 18 up to around 30, 31, something like that, from many nations, but mainly from one nation, the host nation. And if you were to say that, uh, that they'd all gathered together in some enormous event, to be at the same scale, to give you an idea of the magnitude of what you have here, have had here this week, you would have had to have hired a stadium in the United States of America, in a state, in a nation that size, uh, in the United States of America, you would have had to find a stadium to house 650,000 people. Isn't that extraordinary? All of them on fire with Jesus Christ, all of them committed to seeing God's kingdom come, all of them hungry to learn more about how to walk the life of faith. Isn't that amazing? But that is what you have. When you have as many as you did in the largest stadium of the country, you know, and we're walking down the corridors backstage and there's, we're seeing all these photographs, Beyonce, Elton John, all the, all these are the greatest names of celebrity in the world. They've all prayed in the Spark Stadium. Why is that? Because that is the place where things happen in this country, but you took it for a whole week. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and the people came, and they came the previous weeks perhaps to see Elton John, but this time they came to find Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I'm excited about that. You know, uh, people often ask me about work, and this morning I was uh, talking about finding God in your work, and your work being your ministry, and your ministry being your work. But lots of people came up to me afterwards and said, yes, okay, but I understand my, my work, but I'm still struggling with what God's called me to do. Uh, or I'm, I, I'm struggling as God called me to get married to this particular person, or what has God called me to do with my life? So I want to deal with that tonight. You know, uh, it, it's often more complicated, or less complicated rather than we think. 
Often we think we're presented with hundreds of opportunities and life is very confusing. Actually, the truth is, usually we're provided with a binary choice, to the left or to the right, go back or go forward. Let me just uh, explain. By the way, work, as I was saying this morning, work has nothing to do with what you're paid to do. Your work is what God calls you to do, okay? That's what your work is. You may be a mum. Your work is, uh, is to breastfeed a baby and to look after that newborn baby. You're, you may be a, a nurse working in a hospital. Your work is to look after your patients, but when you come home, your work may be to look after your mother as well. Um, your work is what God has called you to do. Sometimes it's paid work, sometimes it's unpaid work. It's called retirement. Okay. You know, sometimes it's what we do because we feel called to do it and nobody pays us. And sometimes we feel paid to do things we don't feel called to do. But what I'm talking about is bringing those two things together. You know, sometimes we get um, into quite an irrational conversation, quite an irrational conversation when we think about guidance. Let me give you an example. So the other day, I was uh, supposed to be giving a, a lecture in the ballroom in New York uh, in, on the ground floor of a gigantic hotel. You know, the kind of thing that has 4,322 stories. Okay, so I'm almost at the top, and I'm waiting for a lift. And for some reason, there are four lifts. Two of them seem to be broken, and I'm waiting for ages. And I'm, I'm already late, 20 minutes late, for a rehearsal downstairs. There's a, there's a huge crew, like there was at Shout. What an amazing technology. Wasn't it an extraordinary achievement to do all that fantastic stuff. I tell you, you know, I, I, I do 65 of these events a year. I work for 400 of the top 2,000 companies in the world. And when they put on the very best of the best of the events, I get to see the best in the world. And I tell you, you're amongst the best in the world in what you did in that Spark Stadium. Anyway, so I was waiting to get down there. I was waiting to get down there, and I was waiting for that lift. And you know, I, I was tempted for a moment. I was just tempted for a moment to touch that lift button more than once. Now, I know that you would never do such a silly thing, but I was tempted. <laughs> okay, I was so anxious, I can tell you, I, I punched it five times. Du, 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 du. Put up your hands if you too have touched the lift button more than once. Okay, <laughs> all right, put up your hands if you talk to the lift. Come on, come on. <laughs> put up your hands if you talk to the car when it doesn't start, <laughs> or to your computer, or to your dog. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What? Even Bill Gates knows I can't reprogram the, the, the program, the brain of the lift by punching it more than five times, okay? But I still do it. I fly a lot. I had a thousand airline pilots in an audience one day talking to them about the future of aviation. And I just couldn't, I, I couldn't resist it. I asked them a question. I said, okay, put up your hands if you talk to your plane. Come on, baby, it's time to go. <laughs> they were all American. <laughs> It turns out that 99.9% .9 of all the US pilots talk to their planes. <laughs> they talk to their planes taking off, talk to their planes going along, and they talk to their planes coming down. Come on, baby, it's time to put the wheels down. <laughs> no, no, what is it that causes us to, you know, we kiss our brains goodbye when we're under stress, okay? We, we're stressed, we're, we're, we're dealing with uncertainty, we're not sure what our calling is, and we start to behave quite irrationally, we lose the plot, um, and we think we're praying like mad, we're actually praying in terrible confusion. So I thought it'd be useful to bring some clarity according to what the Bible teaches us. Okay, so let's go on a journey. The first thing is this, and I'm rehearsing these for those of you who weren't here this morning. It's very, very important. Firstly, before we get into calling, we understand something about work. And I was explaining this morning that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible teaches us that God took the man and placed him in the garden. Not to just uh, swan around and have a suntan, but he placed him in the garden to work it 
and to take care of it, to use the talents that God had given him to look after it. And it was a fantastic place, but it didn't just grow by itself, it needed cultivating. But the word that's used for work is not the kind of word that you would use perhaps for your own work. The word avodah is a word that's used throughout the Old Testament for worship and service and for work. So he was worshiping in the garden and he was serving in the garden. He was cultivating the garden. He was rejoicing in the talents that God had given him to do the things that God had called him to do in the garden. And it was an amazing thing for him to be working in that place. I was saying this morning, your work is your ministry. Your work is your ministry. Your ministry is your work. It's quite easy to see them as completely different things. And somehow, you know, your ministry is, is on the Sunday morning, is, is playing, uh, playing in the band on, on the drums. That's your ministry. But your work is you work, in Tesco, or you work in McDonald's and you make hamburgers. Actually, your work is your ministry. Your ministry is your work. Wherever you are, you carry the aroma of Christ. You are the incarnation of Jesus. You are the only words that Jesus has on this earth. Did you know that? The only words that any person will ever hear of Jesus are your words. They'll read them, but unless you speak them, they will never be heard. The only arms that Jesus has today are your arms. The only hands that Jesus has to touch another human being are your hands because you are the body of Christ. Are you hearing me? You are the body of Christ. You are the eyes of Christ. You are the mind of Christ. You are the mind of Christ revealed. You are the touch of Jesus. You are the love of Christ revealed on this world. So when you go to work, Jesus is at work. When you're, I was talking to a nurse this morning who was talking about her work in A&E and asked me to pray for her. I said to her, you are like Florence Nightingale, the first of nurse of all nurses. And she was saying, well, you know, it's quite difficult because one can be quite busy and overwhelmed with the pressures of health care. I said, so was Florence Nightingale, be encouraged. She had no job, she had no one to pay her, she had no salary, she had no staff, she had no team, but she felt a call from God. And she went right into a battle zone where there was no nurses, no doctors, there was no health service because she was called to make the, the difference in whatever way she could to men, mainly men who'd had their legs blown off, their jaws blown off, they were blind, they were, they were dying literally, literally all over the place, their bodies spewing all over the floor. And she was just one angel of light carrying the love of Jesus. Her hands were the hands of Jesus. Her heart was the heart of Jesus going amongst his people. And I'm sure she wept every night thinking, I don't know how I can do this for another day. Our work, our work is the work of Jesus. And as we go to work, we carry Jesus within us. You are the aroma of Christ. But more than that, your calling, your calling is to change the world. Uh, how do you change the world? Through, the, your, through your work, your work, which is your ministry. You see, you will not change the world in this town hall. I said that this morning. Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, the enemy himself uh, has a plan for your life, which is to keep you completely locked up in this building for the next 365 days, 24 hours a day, and not go anywhere else. Did you know that? Because in here, you're neutered. You can pray, but you can't actually do anything else. And as long as he's got you locked up in a little building and framed away, you're relative, relatively harmless. Your prayers will be powerful, but at least you can't touch anybody. At least you can't uh, um, witness to them about faith. At least they can't see the love of Christ through you. You are, you know, actually it's as effective as putting every Christian on earth on the island of Malta and throwing away the key. <laughs> wow. I hope such a horror never happens. 
Because actually our work is to be incarnational. Our work is to be the salt of the world. Our world work is to be the light of Christ. Our work is to be in every dark place. The darker, the darker. You know, some people say to me, oh, my place of work is so dark. I say, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. You know, you think of, you think of those people in Thailand, those boys in Thailand. Do you know what? When they came out into the sunlight, they had to be given shades over their eyes because it would have almost destroyed their eyesight because they've been without light for so long. When you're in a very dark place, even a single flash of one match is enough to blind the human eye for a very long time. If you want to know your, if you want the light of Jesus to shine brightly, go to the darkest place you can possibly find because there the light will shine the brightest of all. We are called, my friends, to be at work in good places, in difficult places, in tough places. You may say, I'm having trouble in my work. It's a difficult place. I say, thank God for that. Someone has to work there. Now, there are places that, that I'm not saying you should stay in a place where actually God left a long time ago and actually he's calling you out of it. We'll come back to your calling to change the world. And you might say, well, actually, I believe God's told me now I am called to leave this place because I can change the world more effectively somewhere else. I was talking this morning about there's a time and a place to say goodbye. There's a time and place to put your job on the line and say, I'm not prepared to go another step in this particular organization. I don't believe in what they're doing. I don't like their values. My boss is corrupt and I'm out. Out. And that's an act of courage to leave such an organization. It's really important to know the ground on which you stand. Our calling is to change the world. And you know, when we start to pray about that, quite often as Christians, we find ourselves focused on the stuff up here. We say, well, actually, I'm sure I could change the world most by becoming a preacher, uh, by becoming an apostle, by becoming a teacher. Well, actually, you know what? We can easily find there's a two-tier mindset within the church, which is somehow that some jobs are more spiritual or more important to Christ than the rest. But actually, all of us are called to be salt. Yes, correct? All of us are called to be light. There's no point in everyone being a church leader up here speaking because actually there'll be no congregation and no one working in the hospitals, in the clubs, in the pubs, in the, in the schools, in the forests, in the factories, in the universities, and so on. We're called to be salt and light the entire world as a people movement, and that means that all of us are out there doing our work, which is our ministry, and our ministry is to change the world. So it isn't just a question of being a nurse or working, a, let's say, in a factory or whatever it is that you do, or a truck, or, or working for a business. All of these things are holy callings. And you know, we prophesy, we serve, we teach, we encourage, we lead, we show mercy. Many of us here, you will have a powerful ministry of giving. That will be your main ministry. Your main calling will be to give to other people so that they can change the world. You will be changing the world as you make money, but as you release those funds, you'll be changing someone else's world as well. Amazing. And, uh, you know, it's a most, one of the most exciting ministries on the whole earth is to be able to give funds away. I started as a, as a part-time, as, as, a, as, a, as a doctor. I then became a, a business person. I had my own IT startup when I was 21, 22. I took a year out of medicine. I went back. Um, and uh, 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 having made some money, being able to give some away, we went back in. Uh, I, I continued to work, uh, continued to work as a part-time part doctor. And out of that, I was financing, uh, giving the rest of my time to the church. But one side wasn't more holy than the other whether the stuff I was giving to the church as a volunteer or as a doctor or, or in a med tech company, they're all holy to God. They're all parts of our world. Are you hearing me? It's really, really important. So if you have a calling on your life to become a dot-com uh, uh, engineer in big data and artificial 
intelligence. We need to pray with you and gather around with you just as much as if you're called to plant a church in Myanmar. This is really important that we understand these things. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this. You know, he says, live your life. Paul says, live your life worthy of the calling you've received. What it means is that actually God has called us to something absolutely amazing and extraordinary. But for us to walk in that calling, it requires us to be consistent in how we live according to the rule of Christ. So your calling is conditional. See, some people say to me, I'm called to do X. Or others say, I've had this amazing prophetic word. Ravi and I have this a lot because Ravi and I mentor Christian entrepreneurs. We have Christian entrepreneurs come to us with the most gobsmacking, amazing, extraordinary prophetic words. And some of them may come true and others may not. Does that mean that God wasn't saying it? No, it doesn't. It simply means that perhaps, actually, those words are conditional. These things, you know, I'm going to be a multi-billionaire. Are you? Okay. I remember Ravi saying once, um, I refuse to help you. I refuse to help you. I said, why is that? Because your character won't take it. If you become a billionaire, it'll kill you. The way you're going. Now, if you want to work on your character, then we'll work on the business. But we'll start with the character, then we'll work on the business second. Are you up for that? This is really, really important. You see, the prophetic words you've had over your life have conditions attached to them. They require that we pay attention to character. Otherwise, you just land up with inflated talent and a whole load of hollowed out stuff which is not worthy of following. Live your life worthy of the calling you have received. And the most important test of this, in all that we do, is this. In all that we do is this, and this is primary, this is conditional to fulfilling our calling. I think one of the greatest tests is that people often ask me, is this right or is it wrong? Or, or what do you think about this? And my answer usually would be the same thing. Is this something that if everyone else in the church followed this as an example, would be blessing, encouraging, enhancing, and will result in a better world? <laughs> So we, so, so we see they get conflicted about sort of rights and wrongs. And no, no. Actually, it's more subtle than that. Is that our, see, our, one of our primary callings is to be an example worth following. Put up your hands if you understand that. Because actually, that's what called, Jesus called us to do. What did he call you? He said, go out into the world and make disciples. Well, actually, well, that requires people to follow us. So that means in how we handle our finance, how we handle our time, how we handle our energy, that we are people who are exciting to follow. Does that make sense? This is a primary calling for us, is to be people worth following in every single thing that we do. Okay. Now, many of us are surrounded by many, many choices, but as I say, it's often less than that. And often we wish that Jesus would just come along as he did on the Sea of Galilee and say, come on, come and make, <laughs> you're fishing for fish, I'll make you fishers of men. But life isn't quite that simple. And because life isn't quite that simple, I thought I'd give you 10 principles, 10 principles to help you discover your own calling. Okay. So here is number one. Here is number one. The first thing is you are called to make use of the talents that you've, given, you've been given. Okay. So I have a talent for writing, I discovered. I started writing when I was 15 years old, mainly to discover the answer to one particular problem, which I'll come to in a moment. So I enjoy writing. I, 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 I have this irresistible urge to write. I can't help it. I've got verbal diarrhea, okay? I, I, I'm not necessarily good at writing, but I just write a lot. So, so I, I mean, I'm, I can sing. Okay, I can sing. I can, if you push me, lead worship. I have actually done it in a, in a church plant situation. I've led worship, okay? I, I'm not particularly good at it. I can just about manage three, three chords on the guitar. 
I can't do what these guys are doing. So how on earth could it be that God's saying, God, oh, I say that one morning, I go to the leadership team and say, God has called me to be a pianist and act as worship leader in your church. Say, well, that's fine. <laughs> but actually, the obvious thing, therefore, is that the primary, one of the primary tests, if you're looking for the call of God in your life, is to look at the talents that God has given you. Does that make sense? Because for anybody else, it would be start raving and learn the obvious. Say, Patrick, I think it's going to be something to do with the spoken word rather than the music. <laughs> yeah? Let's concentrate on what you're good at. Uh, what gives you joy? By the way, this is all the first test, okay? What gives you joy? When someone says, I absolutely love gardening. You know, I just love gardening plants. It's just, it's just it's my passion. So, well, actually, it's a talent that God's given you. Perhaps it's something that God's going to call you to do, you know, actually to create the most beautiful spaces uh, through, through, uh, through plants and things like that. Um, what do others value most in you? You know, it's very, very difficult for us to see ourselves. So, um, uh, actually, even had to me, it happened to me in this conference. So I get invited to a conference, and I'm a futurist. I'm not a preacher. I'm a futurist. What I do is I talk to people about global trends. I, don't, I, I can't do what you know, Pastor Rodriguez does. <laughs> Wasn't he amazing last week? Who was here last week? <laughs> I can't do what he does. I was dying a thousand deaths the night before. I thought, I've got to get up on that platform and follow him. And then, and then, <laughs> and then it got worse. <laughs> the sun was up. <laughs> I thought, this is it. I'm taking a plane home now. I can't do it. <laughs> and Sheila had to say to me, you had to hold a mirror up and say, yes, but you see yourself. You see, you don't see yourself what other people see. I, and and uh, you, know, you just need to be your, you, what you are. And we spend a lot of time trying to be other people, don't we? And sometimes you just need a, someone to hold the mirror up to understand who we are and what it is that God has called us to be. So what do others most value in you? It's really, really important. Shall I tell you, I think it's almost impossible for someone to do their own bio. Put up your hands if you struggle to do a biography or a CV or something like that for a job. Put up your hands. Christians are terrible at it. They're the worst people I've ever encountered. I think Christians have a sort of genetic, a genetic um, incompetence when it comes to doing biographies. They find it impossible to ask for promotions at, at work. They say, you know, I can't tell you how many times, I, I do a clinic after every time I speak. People queue up and ask to speak, I mean, to speak about their jobs. And at home, I help people to find their jobs. And people want to change their jobs and find their calling. And so many times, people can't do their own CVs. I say, you're applying for a job. That's great. So have you done a CV? Uh, nope. I see, so you're going to get a job just because it's going to come. Yes, the Lord is going to provide the job. <laughs> I say, well, hallelujah. Just send me the CV, okay? <laughs> so they send me the CV. It's crap. I, I'm sorry, forgive my language. It's, I, 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 don't think, I, I don't think ever in my entire life, hardly have I ever seen a first-time Christian CV that actually I could send it to anybody. It's all full of, you know, I, um, I, I, I like to serve people. Yeah, that's great. That's great, but let's tell us what you do. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 well, you know, I lead a team. No, 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 no. You lead a team of a business unit that has $10 million of sales. Oh, yeah, but I don't like to boast. Boast, man alive, it's the truth. <laughs> I want you to tell me how you're going to serve your boss. Oh, my boss, I could do so many things. Well, tell me, tell me what. <laughs> Well, I don't want to boast. I mean, I don't want to, you know, exact, I, I don't want to, I don't like push myself forward. Man alive, your boss will be tearing his heart out every single day, having sleepless nights, saying, dear God, how on earth can I get these, John? I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of incompetent lunatics. 
And all the time, you know precisely what it is that he wants. You know precisely how to sort his problems, but you're too afraid to boast in front of other people to push yourself forward. This is service, my friends. It's making use of the talents that God has given you. You are called to make a difference in the world. So therefore, <laughs> if you think you've got the answer to your boss's problems and you don't tell him every day, you are not serving him. Does that make sense? You're actually a curse on his life. He's paying you to do nothing. <laughs> Let's get, him, let's get him some help. Okay, but sometimes it's very hard to see the difference that we do. So ask a friend to look through your CV. I look through CV and I say, this bears no relationship to the person I see. I don't know who this person is. I recognize the photograph, but nothing else. So let's tell the story and help each other to tell the story about the talents that God's given us and how we think we can make a difference. So what do you have a heart for? And by the way, what are people paying you to do? That's quite a good guide to your calling. <laughs> if, someone says, you know, if someone says, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. You know, I think I could go this way, and I could go this way. You know, I could garden in people's homes, or I could have an IT company that makes $1 billion. And I say, well, that sounds a bit fan fan fanciful. But what about this one? Do you know anything about gardening? Well, no, but I'd like to do some. OK, do you know anything about IT? Yes. What do you do at the moment? Well, I'm an IT engineer. Okay, so what's your salary? $250,000. What? $250,000 a year? And you want to do gardening? <laughs> what in heaven's name makes you think that God wants you to be a gardener? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like punching the buttons on the lift. It's like we lose completely our rationality. You wouldn't believe how many of these conversations I have. I'm about to have a queue of them tonight. I'm just saying this to encourage you because, you know what, guidance, we get so caught up with it, but sometimes it's so simple. So simple. When we just use the common sense that God's given to us, and we do it together. We don't just do it ourselves, but we help each other, and we help each other. Yeah. Um, so what are willing, people willing to pay you to do? It's a very good sign. It's a very good sign. I'm not saying, we're not I'm not defined by my work. I will not be defined by my salary. Yes, 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 that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a little hint. Isn't it? I mean, alongside the other 10 tests I'm going to give you, okay? It's just one. It's not the answer. There are many times you go the opposite way. I remember um, I was heavily criticized because when I trained to be a full-time doctor, um, I decided to throw away my entire medical career, according to the consultant. Why? Because I decided to go part-time, leave the career path of medicine, and go part-time in the church and work there as a volunteer for nothing. And he said, if you stop, your training, you are toast. I thought, that's cool. I'm happy to do that. And do you know what? I had the last laugh in terms of earning power, access, influence, and everything else because God showed up. It was the right thing to do. So there are many times we take decisions which are countercultural. There are times when Sheila and I have made a huge decision which had massive financial implications for us, but we did it with our eyes open. So the financial test is not the definitive test. I'm just saying it's a clue. Yeah, good, good. Right. Okay. So, and, where, and also, where do you feel most God's anointing? You know, in what spheres do you, you say, oh, it's extraordinary, God just turned up. It's really important that you talk about those things. So Sheila and I talk about these things on a regular basis and say, you know, it's interesting that we just really felt God turned up in that particular situation, in that particular country. 
That particular program, say with the AIDS charity asset, which started in our home 30 years ago and is now in 15 different nations. It may be that we say to ourselves, every time we go to that particular nation, we just feel right now a sense, a particular sense of connection, of anointing, of God's favor. We just feel, and we say to each other, you know what, if we got invited back there tomorrow, we wouldn't need to pray about it for very long. We'd jump on a plane. Does that make sense? They're little clues. It's not saying, oh, the Lord said I've got to go and live in Uganda. No, it's not that. It's just saying these are common sense pointers to what God might be saying to us. Does that make sense? And when you put these together, actually, it usually becomes incredibly clear. Don't despise your gifting. So many people, uh, they, they don't appreciate what it is that they have. They say, well, anybody can, anybody can cook meals on a Sunday. Well, you might think so, and of course, we're all called to be hospitable. Not hospitable, it's just that Ravi and Lavnia are very good at doing it. <laughs> okay. you know, anybody can have guests in their home. Yes, that's true, but some people are absolutely fantastic at it. So um, anybody can write a note. I, 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 I use that as a story. My friend Tanya, who used to write, and writes, she still does. She writes little notes because emails don't count in a virtual world. She writes little physical notes to encourage people, little Bible verses. I was just thinking of you and praying for you today because I know it's the first anniversary of your mother's death and I know this must be a difficult time. Love, Tanya. P.S. And then a lovely verse. And then she'll keep that note for maybe five years or 10 years or 20 years and she'll keep it. It pops out of her Bible or the drawer. And Tanya doesn't realize, but actually her main ministry, I think, is writing notes. It's only 10 minutes a, a week of her time, but actually it may have more impact for kingdom than anything else she ever does. So don't despise the little things. They're really, really important. Um, and uh, so here, so you begin to see the pattern. You know, here's something that you love doing. It's something the world needs. God knows the world needs it. You're really good at it, you know. And what's more, someone's even willing to pay you. I said, do you need any more advice about what God's call is on your life? <laughs> this is pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Now, sometimes only one of those will apply. You know you're great at it, the world doesn't need it. Pity that. <laughs> okay, so it's a hobby. So you're great at painting. The world doesn't need more paintings, but they will decorate people's houses, and maybe you can make a career out of it. But for you to say, I am called to be a painter, that's what I'm going to do, and you've got three children and a mortgage, and, and you can't pay the bills, and you're sliding into debt, and you're not selling many paintings, I'd say, well, actually, we say you're great at it, and you love it, which is a passion. But the world doesn't really need it, which is why you're not being paid for it, <laughs> quite frankly. Now, so it's just really important that we understand these things. It's not denying that might be part of their calling, but it's unlikely to be their main calling if they're going to starve over it. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um, by the way, are you a Moses or an Aaron? This is a really, really important test. Can I say there are very few, very few Moses people in the world, just as well, or we'd all blow up? Okay. But there are lots of Aarons. So a Moses is someone with a, what I would say is a primary call. They've had a burning bush experience, a, a, a moment in history when life changed. They, they felt a definitive call of God for something um, that is extraordinary, which they have called into being with the vision that God has given them. To do that, they're going to need a gigantic number of errands. So someone called to church plants to go into a new country and to make a church plant happen, let's say in Myanmar, I keep picking it, picking it because it's a country that's recently opening up, okay? 
So that's a Moses-type call. But it might be that particular person can't play the guitar. He doesn't know. I mean, he's good at preaching, but not much else. And actually, he's got no finance. And this is going to need a huge number of people who will, who will be excited. You know, as the person shares on this platform that they're going to go to Myanmar, there's a rise of faith around this room, and two or three or four others come to Sam and others in the leadership and say, we're sensing that we're Aarons. We're called to serve this person in their vision. Does that make sense? Now, what is the call of that person then? So here's Moses. What about Aaron? What's Moses', what's Moses call? Moses' call is to, he has on his shoulders, and it's a heavyweight, uh, the totality of that vision that God has given him to call into being something of the kingdom. Aaron's call, what's Aaron's call? Serve Moses. It's as simple as that. Moses, what can we do? Moses, I'm hanging on your coattails. Moses, I'm coming on the plane with you. Moses, I'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'm here. I'm putting, I'm actually, I'm actually now, I'm actually now sacrificing some of the calls I might have otherwise had, like, you know, call to nursing or the call to write books or whatever. I'm saying, I'm throwing my lot in. I'm saying, God has told me that my primary call for the next two to three years is to serve your call. Does that make sense? And I will use all the talents and giftings, lay them at your feet, and you, you to work out, picking amongst the, the, the toolkit, which of those tools would be most useful in this next phase. Does that make sense? really, really important. Now, for many, many of you here, that will be your primary calling. Your calling is to serve the calling of another. Put up your hands if you know that's true. You, be, you know who you're calling. You're serving. Your calling, your calling is to serve another's vision. Put your hands up. Now, I'd say that is a mighty calling. Will you give a round of applause to people who are serving another person's vision? This is a mighty calling. Because without it, no primary call will ever be fulfilled of any substance. Oh yes, if your primary call is to be a gardener, you can garden on your own. But if you're going to do something, something really significant, you can only do it together. Really, really important. And you might have a primary calling in one area of your life and a secondary calling in another. So it might be times and seasons. Okay, so for me, I had a primary calling for AIDS and asset. I wasn't expecting it. I, didn't, I wasn't looking for it. But when I met someone with HIV and AIDS, God spoke to me, convicted me about my bad attitudes towards that individual who was dying in the most terrible circumstances. And I was traumatized by this young man. And as I'm, I'm telling you the story, I'm seeing this person dying in a bed alone over there right now. In 1987, I can tell you the month, I can tell you the day, March 1987, in one of London's best teaching hospitals, and there was a diabolical nonsense of non-treatment happening there. He should have been getting hospice-type medicine. I couldn't get, it took me three months to get a first human being with AIDS into a cancer hospice in my country because no one would have them. Primary calling, something happened to me. It was birthed gradually. How did it happen? Because I shared the vision with the leader. He said, well, this is, you haven't just had a bad day. This is God speaking. I then shared it to 100 leaders at his request and as that happened the Holy Spirit started turning up those prophetic words things happening and those hands being laid and all kinds of extraordinary words being prophesied over me which turned out to be true a primary calling and it happened only because from that moment on people came up to me and said I had a, I had a dream last night um, the dream was I, I, I need I, God's told me I had to give me three, three months of my life to you to this movement another person said uh, I, I think God's told me to sell my home and the proceeds of it are going to this is the right at the height of the AIDS pandemic and the proceeds are to generate a mighty movement of people going into schools in the name of Jesus Christ to tell people how to live and so it went on primary callings are really important they come at, 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 Moses wasn't expecting it he wasn't looking for it it came and found him. Uh, primary calling, um, primary callings and secondary callings. 
You see these things in marriages. By the way, a number of you here, I'm sure, are, one of the things you're wondering about is, is God calling me to get married? I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands if that's the case, because that might be a little bit embarrassing. But I can tell you the reason why I started to write was because I had met this amazing person when I was 15 years old, Sheila, who's sitting here now, who can stand up because she's been my best friend now for 46 years. <laughs> And Sheila is responsible for all the books I've ever written because uh, when I was 15 years old, uh, I, just began, I just started to think, I wonder if this is the right person for me, and I thought it probably was. I told my brother at the age of 16, secret, don't tell anybody, I think I'm going to marry Sheila Batten. It took me years to persuade Sheila, to <laughs> Sheila herself, <laughs> but we were best friends for years. We were best friends for years, and we've been married for 40 years, in fact, married for 40 years uh, on... Friday, is it Friday? I'm so jet lagged. 29th, come on folks, stay with me. 29th of July, when is that day? Someone tell me the date, I can tell you when we've been married 40 years. Anyway, we celebrated it with a whole load of friends about a week and a half ago. But it's really important, the calling to be married is a very important calling. You need to get that one right, you can't disentangle yourself from that one, yeah? This is more important than feeling called to join the church, I can tell you. This is a lifetime commitment. This is a, this is a commitment of a man and a woman covenanting together for life who become, as the Bible says, one flesh and a mystical spiritual event. And when half a cell from a man and half a cell from a woman fuse and those two fuse together and become one flesh in that embryonic moment of creation of human life, we're seeing a prophetic picture of what marriage is all about. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And get children, when they arrive, are a gift from God, and you can never divorce your kids because actually they are literally a manifestation of one fleshness between a man and a woman. Wow, how amazing is that when you have a man and woman who are covenanted together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. That's why it's so exciting when three and a half thousand people gather together. So when you have two people who are united in faith and vision on a common call together to change the world together, that is incredibly exciting and incredibly dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. So marriages come under pressure. They are incredible engines for change in our world. They are the the havens into which children are born and brought up in faith. They are the places of sanctuary for those who have no family. So Sheila and I, over the years, we've had up to five single people living with us at any time. We've had I don't know how many living with us. In fact, we went to visit one of them yesterday. Someone who came to us at the age of 16, effectively effectively an orphan, stayed with us two years, but actually that influence was lasting, and we went to see her. She fell in love with an amazing Christian guy in our church and is now here, and she has four wonderful children, incredibly happy, married to a Kiwi. How could you not be? (laughs) But you know what? Covenants are very important because they provide security, not just for kids, but for extended family, for grannies and grandpas and aunts and uncles and for nephews and nieces and for those who are adopted into our family, the the adopted aunts, the adopted uncles, the adopted friends, those who have no country, those who have come from distant places. And we say we are a family of families, isn't that right? That's what we are. God created family. And, and, and many people are called to be single. I want to honor the call to be single. Jesus was single. Paul was single. And, and, and one of the holiest callings on earth is to remain single. And most of us are probably not called to be single. But whatever that calling is, I'd say we need clarity about this. 
So here's another test, a testing out the call. Your friends feel, uh, a, friend of, a friend of ours said, I feel called to work with children. And they've been saying that for five years. So um, what have you done about it? I mean, have you, have you ever worked in a children's home? No. Uh, have you ever volunteered at a children's camp? No. Um, have you read any books about children? No. So, well, how, wh wh where is this going then? <laughs> well, the Lord will make it clear. See, well, he might make it clear, but perhaps he already has. So I say, if you do feel called, this is one of the things, is to start testing it out. You, you start doing the university course, you, you train, you listen to some people already doing that kind of thing. Um, a dentist, uh, uh, Ravi and I met a dentist the other day, Christian dentist, wonderful dentist. She says, I've got a loan from the bank, I've got a mortgage on my house, I'm going to start a sandwich shop. I said, fantastic, have you worked in a sandwich shop? No. Uh, do you know anybody who works in a sandwich shop? No. Do you know anybody who owns a sandwich shop? No. Have you ever made any sandwiches? No. I felt called by God to speak. Ten years before I was speaking, I felt the Lord say to me, I was so embarrassed about this, I didn't want to tell anybody. I told Sheila, she laughed at me. She said, I can't, it's the honest truth. She said, I can't imagine you speaking to anybody, she said. Thanks. <laughs> but I didn't share it with anybody else. It was a bit like a Joseph thing. It was a kind of a dream. And I felt God say that I should start reading the Bible from cover to cover. I should start making notes on every single verse in the whole Bible from cover to cover, beginning to end. I felt God say I should keep cards and indexes and notes. This is before uh, uh, the internet and whatever. And every time I heard a story, I should write that down and put it in the, in the catalog, it by topic and subject. I've still got those indexes at home. The reason I did it, I've got all the books still. That thick. No, that thick. The reason why I did it it's because I felt God say that one day I would be not just speaking, but speaking so often I would never have a chance to prepare between times. And that has happened. It happened actually incredibly suddenly. It happened in 1987. That started to happen. So take the call of God seriously. If you, take a step towards it. You may be wrong. I, I might have been wrong. Who cares? Does it matter? All that's happened is I've got some Bible notes which will bless me. So, so just say, use your common sense. Take seriously what God is saying. Test it out. Take some steps in that direction. Be humble and open and accountable. This is another one. Talk to people around you who know you well. It doesn't always mean they're right. Sheila deflated my ego a little bit. But actually, she didn't say, don't do it. She just said, I just can't see it. Because at the time, it was bonkers. But that shows you how much of a miracle it was. And look for a sign. Sometimes some people say, "Well, I always look for a sign." Well, don't always look for a sign. It's in the context of all these other things. Does that make sense? See, all these things that come. Someone says, "Oh, I had a sign from God." I say, "Well, okay, fine." But I've seen, I've, I tell you, I've seen lots of people cast some really strange signs and come flat on their faces. So it's in the context of all these other things to know how to interpret these things. But Jason, he cut a sheep, <laughs> got the fleece, threw it on the floor. He said, "Well, it's a dry night tonight. If it's sopping work with you, maybe God's in it." It was sopping wet with you. They said, aha, fluke. It's a very dampish night tonight, almost certain to have a dew. Throw it on the ground. If it's dry as toast, it'll be a sign. And it was, both times. It was a very important part of the whole process for Jason being confirmed in the call of God as to what he should do. Sometimes things happen, these signs happen, which are completely outside of your control. I applied for a particular medical school. I didn't get in. 
It devastated me because 95% of all my colleagues at the same university were accepted by the same medical school in King's Cambridge. I wasn't. I, I, I couldn't understand why. As a result, I landed up in London. We both landed up in London. As a result, I landed on the AIDS ward. As a result, I saw that young man. As a result of that young man, we've now seen 3.5 million young people in schools with sex education, youth evangelists, going into schools just in the former Soviet bloc alone with programs in 15 nations. If the Lord had allowed me into that medical school, that would never, ever have happened. I'm just saying God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So you might find you're in a difficult place today. You might find that you're struggling with what your calling is or not knowing why it is that the call that you think you have is being thwarted. But just take a deep breath and apply all the other tests and to keep you sane and healthy in a biblical way. Does that make sense? So easy we say, oh, the sign was fell over. Oh, this. Oh, no, someone, I, I told someone my dream and they laughed at me. This is, just take the whole thing in the round and, and finally be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip just had this crazy notion that he should turn right and left, he should go right and walk in this particular direction. He walked for miles and miles and miles, right through a very difficult country, and eventually he got to a road, and suddenly he was standing by the road, and a horse and cart and a chariot come thundering by with all kinds of people in it, plus armed guards and the rest. He thought, oh my word, what on earth? I've never seen anything like this before. He jumps almost into a ditch to make way, and as he does, he hears the ruler in that chariot reading very loudly from some Jewish scriptures, very strange not a Jewish person, he's reading from the Jewish Bible, and uh, he thinks, perhaps this must be the reason why I felt God told me to come here. I can't imagine I'm supposed to be talking to bushes and roses. So he stops the cart, and they have an encounter. The person finds faith, he's baptized in a, dish, uh, in a ditch, and a whole load of history has changed. So let's be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you know, finally, I'd say this, the smallest rudder changes the most powerful ship. You look at those huge container ships outside there, you see how they're pulled out by tugs, tugs with tiny little motors pulling on the side rudders. When that ship is moving, when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the tugs have stopped, released it, and the engines are running, you just, as soon as you've got five knots, six miles per hour of speed, that enormous tanker can be turned by the tiniest twitch of that rudder at the back. I would much prefer to be counseling a Christian who's made some steps, maybe hasn't heard completely from God, but at least has started doing the training course, uh, start you know, training as a volunteer, they're testing it out, they're spent spending some time getting to know the person they think they're supposed to be getting married to. They're on the move, because when you're on the move, the Lord can direct you with the smallest amount. So often we're just sort of sitting there waiting for some apocalyptic vision from heaven itself, and the answer from heaven is actually right in front of our nose. And you know what, this scripture tells us this, if you this is a promise from God. If you, so long as you're open to the Holy Spirit, you're accountable, you have friends, you're in church, you're in relationship, and you stray to the right or left, you know you soon find out. There's the this this corrective work of the Holy Spirit, and just where it comes from. Does it come in front of you? No. Does it come from beside you? No. It's from behind. Yeah. It's from behind you. Behind you. So you've got to be out there to take those steps of faith and get out there. So there you are on the choice. And many choices, as I say, they're left or right or one or two. And quite often the choice is quite simply this. Do I stay in what I'm doing for a bit longer or do I take that decision in that direction? So your ministry is your work. Your work is your ministry. Your calling is to change the world. And let's stand together because I believe that there are a lot of us here, including me, including Sheila, I would say, 
who have questions in our minds about what God has for us in the future. Put your hands up if that's you. If you have question marks in your mind about the totality of the purpose of God for your future, the directions you've got, what career paths you're going to take, who you're going to marry, and the rest. And you know what? Our Lord is a God of love, a God of purpose, a God of meaning, and a God of clarity. And I believe that as you listen to Him, as you open up your life to Him, and as you follow these common sense principles, you will find step by step, step by step, that He will reveal the way. He doesn't show you the exit. He shows you one step at a time. Why? Because if He showed you the whole lot, you'd be so terrified, witless, you'd run away altogether. But as He gives you step by step, and He gives you grace and strength for the day, at each step you do, you simply say, Lord, where's the next step? He says, well, come on. You put your left leg forward, right leg now, okay, <laughs> right leg. And there's solid, solid ground. Where's the next step? Well, come on, it's your left leg, you can't go like that. Left leg, left leg, okay, all right. And actually it becomes a common sense, obedience and faith, walking day by day, without great hysterics about it, just say, I am walking in the light of what God has shown me. Until he shows me otherwise, I will continue to walk in this direction. And when I come to a, sh a sh fork in the road, I will pause prayerfully for a moment. And I will consider and I will listen. I will apply the common sense test and I will say, Lord, is this the fork I should take or not? And pray for wisdom in that moment. I get it right. And if I don't, I'll go back and I'll return to the fork. Yeah. But as we do this, we find ourselves being agents of light in the most extraordinary movement of God, which will touch and change every mind, every heart, every person on the face of this planet. Thanks be to Jesus.